Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsiegood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by Dr. Yusuf Salibi, also known as JP. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Linda. It's always a pleasure. Now, you're going to talk to us today about COVID and long COVID haulers. So I'll hand it over to you. Thank you. Sure. So, um, you know, two years into the pandemic, we're seeing uh, still a few cases of acute COVID infections. But, uh, you know, as of today, and this is the 1st of March, um, we are not seeing too many acute cases. But what we are seeing is quite a number of long haulers or long COVID and also post-COVID syndrome. It's also referred to as, um, you know, the uh, syndrome of post-acute COVID infection and the sequelae involved. Um, and we are seeing uh, also some uh, issues with um, folks who have been vaccinated, some post-vaccine injury. Uh, but essentially what's happening is we're seeing a good bit of folks who had can't shake the initial COVID infections. And we've seen cases uh, where a person has been infected two or even three times with different variants. But the focus in general right now moving forward is um, a large number of folks coming in uh, with the uh, post-COVID infection and some still suffering from long haulers. And uh, there's a protocol we follow. Uh, the FLCCC has a, a very um, relevant protocol that's fairly frequently updated based on this new science coming in and peer-reviewed articles. And that's kind of what we um, adhere to with a few modifications. We're a little bit more aggressive with some of the dietary supplements that we prescribe. Uh, but essentially, uh, low-dose naltrexone, which was offered as a second or third line uh, agent, has now in the recent month been moved up to a primary uh, intervention. So along with uh, things like ivermectin and prednisone um, and omega-3 fatty acids, which is essentially you know, what's derived from fish oil and vitamin D, high doses of vitamin D, the uh, other agent um, is naltrexone, as in low-dose naltrexone. And they're asking folks to begin at one milligram daily and increase to four and a half milligrams uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, they uh, are also stating that uh, it's best to have people on this for two to three months to uh, see full effect. So uh, as with some of the other interventions, like they're recommending ivermectin weight dose uh, uh, dosing, which is 0.2 milligrams per kilogram body weight until symptoms resolve, not necessarily for 14 days or one month, but until symptoms resolve. And the same thing can be said for um, um, the use of low-dose naltrexone. Um, in my patient base, a lot of my patients actually are on it for a, a number of reasons, whether they're suffering from Lyme disease or autoimmune disease. So my patients actually have a benefit of being on LDN at a therapeutic dose, whether it's three and a half to four and a half milligrams a day. 
So they have the benefit of that. And then if they do get COVID, their symptoms are usually uh, quite less. Uh, we've not really had uh, but one or two hospitalizations. The stays are usually very short, maybe two to four days just for high flow oxygen, and then they're discharged home. Um, to my knowledge, we've only had one or two patients uh, ventilated during this whole pandemic. So, you know, adherence to early treatment and the implementation of naltrexone as part of that regimen has been very successful for us. Um, and, and, you know, now our attention is now focusing on folks that have, you know, long haulers, still uh, brain fog, fatigue, loss of smell and taste are the predominant ones. Uh, hair loss, we're seeing that as part of the syndrome, um, and, uh, but it's, it's mostly the fatigue. And um, so naltrexone is becoming a, a big part of our protocol for them. Mm -hmm. And how open-minded are other physicians to prescribing LDN? Um, well, you know, it, it's, it's like a certain segment of the physician population, at least in the United States. I don't know how it is worldwide but there seems to be a better embracing uh, the use of low-dose naltrexone than other interventions like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because those two other agents have been politicized a bit, whereas naltrexone has not. Um, but there are certainly other um, you know, uh, interventions that are embraced by folks that are open-minded to integrative, more holistic and what we call functional medicine. Um, than are the standard uh, mainstream medical doctors, although the FLCCC in truth is actually established by conventional doctors who were open to using early treatment with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, alenia, or nitrosoxanide, along with their traditional medications like prednisone, Singular, uh, some antihistamines, Pepsid, things like that that are used in the protocol. But what they've also introduced is things like curcumin, uh, Nigelia sativa, which is the extract of black cumin seed oil, which is a very potent anti-inflammatory, uh, high, higher doses of vitamin C, melatonin, uh, probiotics, um, and um, you know, H2 and H1 re uh, receptor uh, blockers. Uh, H1 would be your traditional antihistamines like Benadryl or Zyrtec or Claritin, and your H2 would be things like Pepsid, uh, Famotidine, and uh, some of those other agents. Uh, Monolucast, which is Singulair, is also prescribed um, for those with MCAS, that's mast cell activation syndrome, which is part of the long haulers syndrome. It's where mast cells become destabilized and release a lot of histamine. So you have things like hives and rashes that appear um, and uh, some other complications. And that's why the antihistamines and the leukotriene inhibitor uh, singular are used. Um, there are some that will use anti-androgen therapies. Uh, there were some studies out of Brazil that showed that that was effective as well as statins. I'm not a big fan of either of those two last agents. So I don't prescribe them in my protocols for my patients. Um, but uh, there's another SSRI, serotonin um, reuptake inhibitor uh, called fluvoxamine or brand name Luvox, which has been used, but it's not very well tolerated. So that's one that we have to be super careful with because a lot of folks 
don't tolerate. They have a lot of nausea or psychiatric kind of manifestations. But LDN obviously is, is a great uh, agent to use because number one, it's very well tolerated. Number two, it's very inexpensive and it seems to be working very well. I mean, it was moved up from second and third tier to primary tier or primary agent to use by the FLCCC. And they're heavily uh, research um, oriented. In other words, they don't do, they don't make a move in that direction unless it's substantiated by large observational um, uh, in encounters with patients or peer reviewed journals. So the million dollar question put you on the hot spot here. What do you think that has done for LDN? Has it leapfrogged it forward far quicker than it would have done previously? And the second part of the question is, what do you think all of everything that's been happening with using LDN for the symptoms of fatigue, what's it going to do to people with, with chronic fatigue syndrome? Right. So, yeah, I certainly think that the, uh, the, the pandemic has elevated LDN to top of mind for a lot of clinicians, both those that have been using it and were familiar with it to some degree in the realms of integrative and functional medicine, but also to the mainstream doctors who were unaware of LDN previous to the pandemic. Now it's, you know, it's front and center. I mean, it's one of four or five interventions that are considered top tier to use for people with uh, recovering from long haulers or post-COVID syndrome. So um, I think it did leapfrog it. I mean, in the minds of many doctors uh, to be put top of mind, that's a fantastic thing. Um, that's a kind of a good thing that came out of this horrible pandemic, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and the second question you had was what its effects on um, chronic fatigue? Well, I've been using that uh, in chronic fatigue uh, and autoimmune patients and uh, people with MSIDS, MSIDS, or CIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Those are all different acronyms for this almost the same essential um, issue. Uh, it's a syndrome that involves the immune system and inflammation. And we know that LDN uh, and naltrexone in research is an anti-inflammatory from several different mechanisms it helps suppress inflammation. And uh, the post-COVID syndrome and certainly the long haulers is a problem mostly with inflammation. The virus is long gone. It's already out of our system, usually nine to, to 14 days after you first get infected. The virus has done its bad thing and it's sort of kind of gone away. And what's left is the sequelae of that, which is lots of inflammation. And that's what help, that's what actually hurts people. It destroys their lungs and other organs, liver, kidneys, things like that, and uh, affects brain and cogn cognitive uh, you know, issues and things like that. So the, one of the, the interventions that are used is high dose of curcumin and uh, black cumin seed oil. Those are potent anti-inflammatories. Um, even those that decide to use statins, they're using it for the anti-inflammatory nature of the statin. Um, uh, yeah, like a torvastatin. Um, but then LDN comes in, which is a, a very safe and effective mechanism of um, lowering inflammation. I think that's why it's important. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just hope that, as you say, a good thing has come out of this. And if we can get 
more doctors prescribing LDN and finding the benefits that patients have. Hopefully they will prescribe it for more conditions, you know, mental health, autoimmune, cancer, pain, you know, the list goes on. But I think it does make a big difference the first time a doctor actually can see that LDN has done amazing things for a patient. It gives them the encouragement um, and the confidence to prescribe it for further patients. So, right. Fingers crossed. I definitely, and, and Linda, your website does a phenomenal job, um, you know, in, in helping uh, me put together a PowerPoint uh, presentation for your organization as well as for an upcoming symposium I have. I've gone to your website, uh, which is a great resource. And it lists all the different uh, conditions that LDN is being used for or would be useful for uh, based on, you know, this, these long lists of conditions categorized, you know, pulmonary, neuropsychiatric, you know, cardiovascular. It's, uh, you, you've done a great job in enumerating all these conditions. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time now for doctors to start embracing that looking at the literature, looking at the peer-reviewed literature that backs up the use of this agent, very unusual drug. It's one of my, you know, probably the top five of my safe and effective drugs that I prescribe. Um, and that's what I would grab. I tell my patients, if I had to grab an agent to take to me, uh, with me on a deserted island, uh, one of the top three would be naltrexone for the LDN. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's a powerful drug with a lot of uh, uses and it's backed up by research. That's the important thing. Mm -hmm. And we, talking about the website, we do update it monthly. So any doctor that tells us of a condition that they treated a patient for with LDN and had good results, that's not on our list. We add it. We also add the latest clinical trials and peer-reviewed papers and LDN in the news, things that have been happening. So we right. we try and make it a one-stop where, you know, a, a doctor, a researcher, a pharmacist who's looking to do a presentation, just like you were saying, that they can find the information quickly and easily. Um, it's a never-ending job. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, it's yeah I know. It, it, it is, it's, uh, you know, a, a great thing you offer. And I do send patients to that website in particular, when we have a discussion in my office about LDN and I want them, I have some material I, I hand out to them, but I also direct them to the, the LDN research trust website so they can glean a lot of information. It's a great resource for them. Mm -hmm. And I understand there's a new book coming out. Linda, do you want to Yes, we've got that. the uh, third LDM book should be coming out in the fall. Um, and we're covering different conditions. Many people have said, is it the first book updated the third time? No, it's a, a series of books. So we've got volume one and two. Now we, we've got volume three. And you put right. me on the spot to try and think what's in volume three. But it's really exciting and you've written a chapter as well so uh, right. I think watch right. this space and right. uh, it will be available very good in a few yeah, months I'm, I mean reading volume one and, and volume two I thought well maybe that would be just an update like a second edition but it wasn't it was some novel 
things that were discussed in volume two. And I, I, I'm assuming that, like you say, volume three will be yes. more novel stuff. Yeah. Well, the, the whole idea is to every volume to cover conditions that haven't been covered in the previous books where we have the latest research. And if there are, we will have a section. So the latest papers will be um, referenced at the back. I mean, we have every book, hundreds of references. And of course, as time goes on, every year there are more papers coming out, which is fantastic. Right. The LDN Research yeah. Trust has been going over 18 years now. And initially, published papers were slow coming through. But you know, every month there is something somewhere in the world, somebody's done something, had something published. So it is gathering momentum, which is sure. fantastic. And and Linda, I think really with the uh, with the last two years of us being a pandemic where a lot of focus has been on COVID-19 and what we can do for it with, um, let's say, off-label use of certain medications and LDN, that's going to even push more research money towards researching uh, LDN, I'm sure. Now that it's on the protocol and it's like in the number one uh, section of early interventions, uh, for long haulers, I think you'll see probably more and more papers. Actually, it should it should be exponential in the number of researchers wanting to take this on and do more research for sure. Fingers crossed. So, Linda, I've got a case uh, that's a very uh, interesting case that I saw in my office a few months ago, and this is actually a post-COVID vaccine injury type case. Now, this lady, unbeknownst to her, had an underlying. Uh, tick-borne infection. She actually had Lyme disease that was activated by the first uh, dose of a COVID vaccine. Uh, I'm not going to mention which one it was, but it was a first in a series of two that she received. And within uh, 48 hours of receiving the first dose, and then for the subsequent week and to two weeks thereafter, she suffered some neurological um, conditions that put her in a wheelchair. So this is a woman, she was in her uh, late 40s and she was very ambulatory, you know, didn't really claim any uh, health issues. Next thing you know, uh, within a very short period after her first vaccination, she was wheelchair bound, um, couldn't, couldn't walk and had a very staggering kind of staccato, uh, almost looked like a Parkinsonian kind of gait. Uh, it took her, you know, literally uh, three minutes to get up out of the wheelchair and walk a few steps across the room to the doorway of my office. Uh, now, we put her on a pretty heavy-duty protocol involving a few off-label drugs, but also I rapidly escalated her dose. She was never on LDN, but I placed her on low-dose naltrexone and escalated her dose pretty quickly because I knew time is of the essence here, and I didn't want her neurological problem to progress. Um, and during that time, it was when we discovered that she had Lyme disease as an underlying etiology. And it was just exacerbated by the, probably the S spike proteins in the uh, mRNA vaccine. But um, so we were able to get her rapidly up to four and a half milligrams, which she tolerated very well. And uh, the second time I saw her, she had transitioned from a wheelchair to a walker. On the third visit, which was a month later, she was using a cane. 
Now she was able to ambulate without the use of any help um, like a cane or even family members. But again, it was extremely slow um, with her ambulation. Uh, and it, it looked kind of almost Parkinsonian in nature, kind of like this leaning forward, kind of unsure, it took her a long time to actually turn. Uh, and then, but once she initiated the walk, she could carry on her, her gait and it was a little bit slow. But um, now I have not seen her back uh, in about a month or two. Uh, she should have an appointment with me again soon. But I thought that was a pretty interesting case where I think I'm pretty sure that the naltrexone had a big part to play. Well, thank you very much for having shared your experience with us today. Well, Linda, it's always a pleasure having me back anytime. It's always good seeing you. Thank you. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.